It is good to have you here. Thanks so much for coming on back to the channel for a great conversation with John Middlecoff. You know, one of the questions I'm going to ask John here is what media does he consume? Who does he watch? When I get asked that question, my go-to answer is Haberman and Middlecoff. They had my favorite show on 95.7 The Game all those years ago. Uh, they still do one of the best sports shows out there. And obviously, John has gone out to carve his own space now on the volume with Colin Cowherd and just watching what's happened to him and his career has been awesome. And it's been a little inspirational in the situation I've been thrown into. John, how are you, man? D. Bruce, what's cracking? It's been a long time since we've talked. Uh, again, the come up of you is real, man. It's awesome to see. Uh, I'm liking, I'm subscribing whenever I can. I think your podcast, Three and Out, on 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 Cowherd's uh, handle is is just fantastic, man. Congratulations on all things. Thanks, bro. You know, uh, guys like me and you, when when you get us on the terrestrial streets, we've been known to piss a few people off. So you get us on the digital streets, you can kind of say whatever, and it actually resonates a little more, I think, with the people. Uh, I think it so, does too. So the world, and I, I think authenticity, my overall take just moving forward with the media stuff, where I, I think that's why so many of these brands ha have really kind of wiped out the old school because you just can't say what you ultimately want to say when you're in business with these teams. And let's face it, for a radio station and definitely television stations to survive now, you have to be so in deep with either the league or the team. And not everyone has the, the entertainment value as a speaker is a little bit different than the what those guys are looking for on their end, which is understandable. I mean, I've worked on the team side. You kind of get that bunker mentality. But, uh, you know, <laughs> if Kyle screws up, you know, and you're in business with the 49ers, it's, it can be a difficult proposition to balance. Indeed. Indeed. I think some independent voices out there, especially when we're muddling like is ESPN and the NFL going to be like in business in terms of co-investors in each other's brands? Like it's, it feels like Korean state radio is a possibility maybe for NFL media down the road. But in the meantime, we'll worry about that when that happens. I want to talk to you about what happened in the NFC championship game, the AFC championship game, and then we'll look ahead to the Super Bowl. But while we're on it, and I know this is a topic that you've been on on your podcast, you've been thinking about this, you've been talking about this. Why is, do you think, in a world of fragmentation, the NFL are number one choice for uninterrupted, unstoppable entertainment? It is a monolith over this culture that not even the biggest NFL fan could have ever seen coming. Well, I think there are a lot of variables and factors. Uh, one thing that's always, at least in my 39 years of life, people like being associated with big things in, in sports you know, over the history of our lifetimes have clearly had that, right? Magic, Larry Bird, Joe Montana, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, that just draw casual people. And the more casual people you can get, obviously the bigger, you know, your sport's going to be. It's why the biggest brands, the Lakers, the Cowboys, you know, the Yankees, they have the most casual fans, right? Every team is going to have some diehards. And I think the inventory status of once a week, relative let's face it not one individual baseball game beside maybe game 162 if you have to win to get in ever feels like it truly is life or death because it's right. just not and in basketball the regular season i don't know about your take on this but when we have a two-week stretch of like i don't even know how many guys scoring 60 to 70 points 
so many people around the NBA say it's the t- the league has never been better. I push back and I say maybe more individually talented, but the teams have never been worse. Like when I grew up in the NBA in the nineties, there were almost probably half the league had been playing together for minimum half a decade, some 10 years. You watch the jazz, the rockets, the whoever, they just all the same guys played together forever, the stars and the role players. And now you watch the NBA, it's full of mercenaries. You're getting 60, 70 points with it. And I understand the three-point variance, but it's just the, the league's watered down. And in football, the rules are they had to change, right? After the CTE stuff. But it's still when you turn on a game, a crappy game on Thursday night, any game on Sunday or Monday night, you know that if it's the star player, the random player, a guy, if you were an Indiana fan and you root for a linebacker that now starts, you know he's playing in that game unless he's legitimately injured or something happened where he like got suspended and in trouble. But if, if he can play, he's playing, and he's going to give everything he has. So you know everyone's trying. The NFL now has done a good job of like marketing it's a really big deal. I mean, the Super Bowl feels like it's gone to another level this past decade of like, it's just, it's always been a big deal. It's called the Super Bowl, but it feels like you cannot miss it now. Right, it's bigger than anything. Like it was, you know, the Super Bowl would get kind of the same ratings as the Oscars got. Now the Oscars would, you know, Oh, they kill for Super Bowl ratings. Oh my. So think about now, if you like want to get to the Super Bowl, my mom, because I worked for Coach Reed, you know, she's grown up a Niner person. She's a Chiefs fan. And she does not miss a Chiefs game. And I think a lot of women are watching football now. You know, not maybe not diehard breaking down every game, but like they watch the games. Yeah. And so, and I don't think that's the case with the other sports. You've always had sports fans watching. I think you've brought in a lot of casuals with the gambling. And I think fantasy, fantasy and gambling and help and, and just help. You, know, you were talking. It about- feels it feels important, doesn't it? Right. It, just it feels important. Football feels like it comes with consequence. Where, yeah. like you said, baseball zero consequence based on any one game. That's the way it no. feels. Uh, the NBA very little. You know, you get a seven game series. Well, you know, lose tonight. We'll see you tomorrow. We got another <laughs> shot at it. Football is just such a one off. It's it's a. It's a monster industry. I how, know how many how many things in sports really like the NCAA tournament has that right? You can get bounced immediately. Right. Maybe the occasional you know game seven in the NBA or or baseball. Maybe a Sunday at the Masters or something. But it's football is really the only thing on a weekly basis. College too that feel like this is a big freaking game. Right. Heavyweight title fights when we used to care about those things yeah. in boxing and not just like UFC, the UCF or the Ultimate Fighting stuff. Yeah. Great. Um, uh, you know, speaking of industry, and again, you know the NFL. You know a lot of the players who talk about the NFL. Uh, I, I think maybe w- one of your pals, Colin Cowherd, might be uh, as as guilty of this as charged. Why has shitting on Brock Purdy become a cottage industry unto itself? Well, one, he's the 49er quarterback, and as we see with the television ratings, I mean, they're bohe- you know they're like the essentially the Cowboys on the West Coast, so it's a it's a polarizing position, right? Think about their quarterback since they've been good under Harbaugh and Kyle, from Jimmy to Trey Lance to Kaepernick to Alex Smith. I mean, they just they move the needle to have an opinion. Now, granted, they've all kind of fallen in a similar category where it's like, you know, like what are you saying about Mahomes? Even Josh Allen, like you're nitpicking, like can he beat Mahomes? But no one's even arguing is he good or not. Listen, he's picked 262. So that in itself is going to be a, a polarizing conversation. And let's face it, like there were moments last week and the last two weeks you see it. Like physically, he's not as gifted as the top guys, right? He's not that big. And he doesn't have a great arm. Like that's not debatable. 
And then he's clearly had some moments in some big spots where it crosses your mind. You go, is this guy good enough? And then last week, I mean, the second half, he, he was brilliant. But I, I think it's just his draft status. I think whenever you start getting in the MVP conversation, when you just say the words MVP, like you just start talking like Mahomes, Steph Curry, Tom Brady, right? Barry Ball. Right. Like you just start thinking the best of the Michael Greatness Jordan. The best of the best of the best. Greatness only. And my pushback on that always was, it's just a down year for the MVP. No one, that's why Ryan Clark's comments, no one was comparing him to Mahomes, Josh Allen, or Lamar Jackson physically. But it was inarguable that he was having a fantastic season. And his fantastic season, given where he was drafted a year ago, it's fucking incredible. And it like jumped the shark of like, is this guy, this guy's not as good as John Elway. Well, yeah, no shit. I mean, who's <laughs> arguing that? You know, I mean, yeah, most of times. <laughs> he makes he makes 800 grand. He, he, I honestly, is he I, we'd have to really look at the you know the rosters, but given that he's the quarterback on team in the Super Bowl and he makes under a million dollars, there, there cannot be a better contract in the NFL. Honestly, might not be a close second, right? Yeah, no, I, I would say, you know, part of the Curry MVP conversation the first time around is he was doing that making 11 million a year, which is the NBA equivalent of making about 800 grand a year in the NBA. I mean, it's it, it's it, it's a salary that's so small, it doesn't even show up on the cap sheet. So, And once you start making 50, like, Steph, you got to be a top five player every year, and luckily right. he is, but the moment you become, like, the 15th best player, it's why Jalen Hurts, last year, unreal. Then he gets this huge contract. You're like, ah, he's not playing as well. And it becomes, and then you get, like, Purdy's still two years away from even that discussion. Like, right. to me, I'm with Purdy. Even if he wins and plays well and has another season, like, I I, I, I don't know if I, I'm signing this guy to a contract till after four years. Like, just let it play out. We're always in such a rush. Like, I think if you ask the Eagles, do you regret giving that? To, hey, you had another year to play with. But sometimes these teams feel forced. There's always the well, it gets if he maintains that level of play, then it's a great deal. But if it slips a little bit, you're like, God, we should have just waited a year. It might have been a little cheaper. And I think that's already getting played into this. It's like, guys, he's in a second year, but we're already talking like, how much is he worth? Well, I don't know. I don't know how to pay him for a couple of years. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? Yeah, he's not making 50 million. Would I even pay him 50 million? Probably not. But we're not there. So he, right now he makes 900 grand. He throws 30 plus touchdowns. And he's easily the best quarterback the Niners have had under Kyle Shanahan. Not even close. And Jimmy was solid for a moment. Yeah. Look at it this way. If he wins a, a silver trophy a couple weeks from now, the value goes up. And if you keep sure. playing anything like this, I mean, we don't have to worry about Brock Purdy's money. I can promise you that. The NFL will find a way to take care of him. John, you got to sum it up one way and only one way. Which way you summing it up? Dan Campbell blew it or the Niners won it? You know, it's one of those unique kind of confidence. The Niners could not win it without him fucking up. Right. It was he impossible. opened the door to everything yeah. that happened. Because it wasn't, you know, the Packer game, the quarterback was off, but the score was always in reach, right? 14 to 6 or whatever. This was 24 to 7, and they had the chance to kick a field goal. And it looked closer to 50 to 7 at the time. I mean, the Niners defense was nowhere to be found. They obviously only had a touchdown. It was it was uglier than the Packer game, partly just because at any it felt like everything Ben Johnson called, they got 15 yards. Like nothing was even seven yards. And then on the flip side, everything with the Niners, like that was a tough five yards. It didn't even feel like they were sweating. They were scoring touchdowns from all angles, inside, outside, corners, cutting around guys. So you just felt like they get the three scores here. They haven't the 49ers haven't even come remotely close to stopping them. How do you 
you hit a couple deep bombs. And I give the Lions credit. Their defense, their DBs had sucked all year. Well, a couple of those throws, to me, Purdy threw to Ayuk. I think during practice, they're like, these guys always get smoked. They always get beat. Kyle's like, let that thing rip. Brandon would be wide open. And you see Purdy kind of like a couple steps, boom. Those corners, I think, were cheating the other way. And I give, you know, Aaron Glenn, I think they were told, hey, we'll give up 5, 10, 15 yards. We are not giving up these 40, 50-yard bombs. But I think the 49ers, who do not really play like that, how often do you see Purdy throw, like, legit bombs? And they did two of them because, in fairness, those DBs are huge liabilities. But they – the Lions coaching staff, the, the crappiest part about their loss, if you're a Lions fan, is like our two coordinators were unreal. <laughs> and and our coach yeah. just got a little – I don't know where you stand, but like I'm all for being aggressive and going for it in any walk of life. But there is situations that have to play into your decision-making, right? If you If I give you 50 grand to invest in the stock market, yeah, you can let it rip. If I gave you fifty million to invest, you'd probably be a little more conservative. And right. this is not this is not week ten against the Niners to like really prove you're as good as them. This is to go to the Super Bowl in the second half, and you are kicking their ass. Right at this point, the the, the, the so yeah, I think I think a lot of like the Niners turned it on, but the, the Lions opened it up. Without the Lions opening up, they could not win. Dan Campbell was playing the scoreboard when he should have been playing the possession game. You know, you go up three possessions when the Niners have at best four or five possessions left. Five in feels game. extreme. I would have guessed four. Yeah, without a tur- without a turnover. Right, and then it just it, it steamrolled on them. They got the fumble, uh, the three and out right after the fumble. It's it. And their it, offense then for two straight weeks, right against the Packers, and then this game, you would say their offense is not playing well. So you give possessions to an offense that's just off kilter. Right. I know they have great players, but. Wasn't a it great day for those guys. It's a, everyone sitting on the couch when he went for it was like, "Well, if they don't get it, this is the only, this is the Niners have a shot." Right. If he would have kicked, if he would have kicked the field goal, I think everyone would have looked at whoever they're watching the game with if they're a 49er fan and been like, "We're screwed. This thing's over." Right. It's too bad the the coach can't like pull the opposing fans. You know, like <laughs> I know every single 49er fan when he was going for it was like, "Oh, this is better for us than it is for him." And if you know that the entire fan base is thinking that, maybe you take the field goal when it's all said and done. John, uh, since we're talking just a little Lions here before we move on to bigger and things, the news of Ben Johnson staying in Detroit, like I equate it to a lottery pick going back to school to maybe become the number one pick in the draft. Like this guy could absolutely be the number one name on the coaching carousel next year for the first opportunity he wants, not the last couple of opportunities that still remain open. I think it's the right choice. I think he's clearly the best offensive coordinator in the NFL that's not a head coach, right? Most of them, McVay, Kyle, Andy, by a, by a wide margin. I mean, that was that was an incredible performance he put on the other night against the 49ers. Uh, so, yeah, I, I had heard that, you know, he was just on the fence. He's 37, not 52. Right. right. He's Funny really time. young. And unlike Kyle, when Kyle got the Niners job, I think he had been an offensive coordinator for close to 10 years, and he was born into football. You know, this guy played college football, bounced around quality control, position coach. This has been a quick rise, and he's 37 years old. So I'm pretty sure offensive coordinators in Detroit, in the NFL, I mean, what, what do you guess? He makes $3, 4000000 million. So it's not like he's – he's like, listen – I think one of the stories was Schefter wrote that he his number was a little high for people. I think clearly, and this speaks to Dan Campbell, he loves where he's at. He doesn't feel quite ready. So it's like, hey, you blow my socks off, I can't turn down $70 million. But I'm not just going to coach. I've seen so many people in this profession within a couple of years bounce back in their head coaching careers. Kind of oh, look at Arthur Smith. 
who just took the Steelers job, right? It's like, he's not going to be a head coach for a while. And he jumped at the opportunity. And it, it can just do written out, you're a millionaire no matter what. But still, I mean, it's just, you're a young guy. And all of a sudden, like, I'm never going to be a head coach in this league again. Right. He probably got a real nice bump to stay in Detroit. For sure. And, you know, a, a bump in Detroit is a mountain just about anywhere else. You can live a really good life uh, in, in Michigan for a reasonable dollar amount where, you know, the, the, money works differently in Detroit than it does other places. So he can own an entire city block if he wants to, staying right there as a coordinator. Um, I think it's the right move. I, I really do. Uh, speaking, I, I think I think Detroit, Damon. I mean, you know, 49ers, I think are probably going to win the Super Bowl, but I mean, who knows? But they aren't they right there with you know going into next year with? I mean, they're behind the Niners, but the rest of who who else are you picking in the NFC? I mean, that whole team is young, coming back. Right. I mean, they got all their coaches are coming back, and they had a good thing going. There are three lookout next year teams: Packers. It's the Packers, the Lions, and the Texans, right? Yeah. Yeah, really young, good up and coming team. I, I think the I think the Bears, you know, with the way their defense played, but how could you ever trust the offense? Right, Eberflus. I don't know. It's just, I'm not <laughs> no, uh, Let's talk about maybe the most important coordinator living on planet football right now, and that's Steve Spagnolo, who I think, you know, as we start to look ahead to the Super Bowl, John. Kyle Shanahan versus Spags. With all due respect to Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, like that might be the Super Bowl right there. For sure. I mean, this is a guy that, I mean, I'd say most famously took down that undefeated Patriot team. I mean, is that, it's probably up there. In modern history, it's easily the biggest upset, you know, in the Super Bowl history. Did I destroy Tom? He's got a chance to become the first four-time winning coordinator in football history of a Super Bowl. That's a big deal. Big time. I mean, he's, he's a star. I mean, he's, he, I'd argue if you factor in the variables, he's the most important important coordinator in the NFL because he's not going anywhere. Like that guy literally just there with Andy until Andy wants to call it quits in five years. I know people are talking about retirement, but you don't retire when you got this quarterback if you're healthy. <laughs> right. So I was like, why, you watch Andy coach? You think that guy's close to retiring right now? Are you crazy? See how much his team is. He just had probably, I mean, non-Super Bowl, the two best wins of his career on the road in Buffalo, on the road against the MVP and an elite defense. And now he's – I mean – you could argue if he wins this game and how good the Niners resume in the regular season, it's one of the greatest like three game stretches in NFL history. And it's his worst Chiefs team. I mean, it's like what, well, what? that was gonna be, be incredible. If if the 2019 Chiefs are the gold standard of the Patrick Mahomes Chief era, is is this team overrated or underrated? I think once you get that, you know, that Hunter Pence, you say that championship blood, like were the 98 Bulls that good? Probably not, but it's like you weren't betting against them. Right. You know, it's like Scotty just had enough in with the back, Dennis Rodman and Michael. You watch highlights of like the 92 and 93 Bulls and watch Michael and Scotty move. You're like, they would dominate any era. Like they, they were unstoppable. All comers, all get in a time machine. I don't care where you're coming from. These guys got you. The, the 96 Bulls have the better record. YouTube 91, 92, the, the athletic ability of those two guys on a complete that that speed and the Niners could play with them in 2000 because their defensive line was elite, right? They had young Nick Bosa, they had Buckner, they had a young Armstead and D Ford was still around. Luckily, they're playing a team that is really more defensive built. Their offense isn't as crazy as long as you can just neutralize Kelsey a little bit like he can have 80 yards. I think that Andy is more willing to run it now than ever before. He's always been a pass-heavy coach. He, I think Pacheco has like 24 carries in two of the last three games. But 
the Niners have, in a weird way, faced, beside McCaffrey, you could argue like two of the best backs in the league in the dude Aaron Jones and obviously Gibbs in terms of speed, explosion, gave him a lot of trouble. Pacheco's a good player, but I don't know if he can really kill you like Gibbs in terms of the speed. He's more likely to run for like seven yards than like 25. So, because right now the Niners run defense is an abomination, right? I mean, it really I don't is. Get it. I, t- I mean, I, if I, I told you they were playing like Derrick Henry in his prime, you'd be like, this is going to be a long game. Yeah. But, but luckily they're getting Chiefs, which really is a defensive battle. It's a lot of pressure on, like you said, Kyle and Purdy. I mean, there's a guy who blitzes. Chris Jones is one of the better players in the league as a defensive tackle. The Niners guards and centers aren't exactly Jim Otto here in their prime. So it's, can you keep Purdy healthy? I I don't understand why Kyle, now I get his passing game is a lot of play action. He never rolls Purdy out like Andy does with Mahomes or they do with Josh Allen. Purdy's a good athlete. Get him on the move a little bit, helps him see. I think they, I think Romo or Nance said during that Chiefs game, the Chiefs lead the league in batted balls. Well, we just saw Purdy. I mean, he's kind of short. He gets some balls batted. Like, get him on the move. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And if you're, but it's not really part of Kyle's offense. Right. If you're, if you're looking for, you know, what's also funny, not part of Kyle's offense, like a hurry up offense. He doesn't really have no, a to take your time. Just, yeah, just let's yeah. go. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a little odd, but again, obviously the guys, it works. He's put together a winning formula that works more often than not. But when he is thrown into the game where it's not going according to the script he wants, that's when bad shit happens to the San Francisco 49ers. I think one of his most underrated attributes as a coach is his ability, and I think Parcells definitely had this like uh, ability to identify the type guys he wants in the trenches with him, because he just has gets guys for the most part that are just war daddies. They don't, and the Chiefs are full of them. Now they happen to have, you know, I don't know, the, one of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen. So that takes them to another level. But the 49, you shouldn't be this good you know, without one of the top three or four quarterbacks in the league. And maybe Purdy, you know, ultimately becomes like the mobile Drew Brees. He's still got a long way to go before we can talk about him as like some all-time player. But it to me, it's the it's the sum of the – they have just have so many good players, so many that are wired like like champions, even though they've never won a championship. And that's that showed the last two weeks because we saw the Ravens. They kind of folded. I mean, the Niners could have fold, – definitely against the Lions could have folded, and they just didn't. No, they did not. John, the uh, biggest individual matchup, I think, for the 49ers to win the Super Bowl is Fred Warner on Travis Kelsey. It feels like, and maybe this is just, you know, great players make it look easy, and Kelsey is clearly a great player, but I can't believe how often he is left on an island in football games that I watch or how often he's just the uncovered element of the offense that has found the soft spot. Like, how are you not Johnny on the spot on Kelsey from the from the locker room to the parking lot. Like, I, I can't believe that people just don't put two guys on him and say, Patrick, especially with this wide receiver group, anywhere else. You beat us anywhere else, God bless you. You're the fucking man doing it that way. But exactly. Kelsey, no. And I think Fred Warner might be the guy to slow him down. You know, in basketball, when they're like, hey, if Draymond Green's going to hit four or five threes, like whatever, Steph, right, that, he's not going to do it. Well, why wouldn't you just go, listen, I, we're going to adapt a coverage this week where the safety always helps Fred out and those two guys follow 87 around. And if if Rice or whoever that you know MVS gets ten for one forty, you just say, hey, right. right? We're not leaving Jerry Rice or Marvin Harris. I mean, these are guys that most of the league is kind of making fun of. So you can't allow. I mean, you look at the box score last week; it was like eleven for one twenty and a touchdown, and he just set the tone immediately early. He did it the previous week in Buffalo immediately early. I mean, you're talking about like non-quarterback, a top 20 player in league history, you can't let him, because when he gets going, you feel, you know, the analytical guys hate the momentum. 
that 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 belief of just uh, positivity on a sideline. No way we're losing this game. Instead of you know back in the day, you can't hit guys anymore, but physically get up in them. And to me, you send two guys. You got to send guys all over the place, underneath and over the top. You can't just let him run wild on one guy. Even Fred, like Fred's going to need help because Fred oftentimes will be trailing. Can you just leave a safety? Who cares about the wide receivers? Now, I think defensive coordinators would say, you know, there's integrity to a defense. I don't care what you got to do. Uh, Belichick would figure it out because he wouldn't let this guy keep going for 12 for a buck 50 in every single playoff game. And, well, how do we lose this average offense? I don't know. I mean, take away their best player. Yeah. Um, I know you love markets. Like you love the stock market. You love to watch value increase, decrease, kind of figure out why I, I you know, the, the F1 tickets in Las Vegas seem to be a, 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 a canary in the coal mine for early huge prices. People jumped on them. Then you could have gotten into that place for a song like night. I, of. I saw like, that. Wasn't um, like the, the hotel rooms and everything cheaper the week before or whatever. And before, yeah. like six months out, they were historically high. Right. right. You pay, you paid. If you booked your room a year out, you paid 10 grand for a corner Cosmo suite. If you did it the week of, you got it for three, which is, you know, supposed to happen the other way, but it yeah. didn't. And that was kind of a, a mess for Las Vegas. I saw that Super Bowl ticket prices are going for like nine, 10 grand a pop individual tickets, a pair down low, going to run you like $50,000. It's an awful lot of money. Do you think that market actually holds to game time or do you think it bottoms out at some point? I actually think it could hold like there's enough star power and the element of it's the first ever Super Bowl in Las Vegas. Like I, I prices might even go up. We get closer to kickoff. Well, I think they're, you know, you got the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, you got LA, you got Scottsdale, you got the money in Vegas, and then, you know, private jets from the South or whatever, or New York, if they want to come, you have enough people that would be willing to pay outrageous prices. And in this day and age, there just clearly are. The one thing I've noticed is I was checking hotel rooms, um, probably a week ago and a hotel room at the Cosmo was like $1,500 in the middle of the week. And I checked yesterday, it was $500. And I do think it factors in. I mean, the chiefs now have been to what four of the last five. So if you're a fan and you're a diehard, I, I would imagine you have been to one, at least that week, even if you don't attend the game, right? You, once you get Patrick Mahomes or Michael Jordan or Brady, you're like, yeah, I can, I can spare this one on the couch. Right. I got my mail in the Super Bowl. I'll pick it up at home. I think a couple of weeks ago when it looked like maybe the bills, and definitely the Lions, they would have brought – the Lions would have brought a lot of people and the Bills would have brought a lot of people. So the moment it's the Niners, which, you know, you could – if you wanted to, you could come over on just for a couple of days, Friday, Saturday, even if you're not attending the game. I also think that it's not a big stadium, right? It's not some – It's it's got to be one of the smaller stadiums. I think it the is the, the smallest stadium to ever be awarded uh, a Super Bowl in modern times. So you factor that in. It's obviously a huge corporate. I just wonder if there's not the – like the supply-demand, the inventory is just pretty low. It's got to be factoring in. When you, there's also inflation, all the other bullshit. How much out of your own money – you know, I know we're, we're probably a little number to this. Like true fandom for me is kind of gone, but like – I just don't think there's under any circumstance I would pay $10,000 a pop to watch a football game. None. Because the experience is so good on your couch. No chance. No, I, that's the thing. It's a better television product. I've been to a Super Bowl. It's among the... So yeah. It, it is Not cool. as It's cool to sit somewhere where you know for a fact the entire world is watching you. 
Like, that's exciting. But once you get over that, you're like, this is a really choppy, zero flow to it football game with more time out than certainly time in. And it's it's better on the count. The the crowd's a little weird, right? It's not a true home field crowd by any means. I can't think of anything. Like, you know, Indiana in the national championship game, I get to sit on the end of the bench. Ten grand for that? Eh, you know, not unless I'm really, really rich. Not unless, how about this? The channel's going to have to blow the fuck up, John, for me to drop 10 grand, I think, on a sporting event ever in my life. Yeah. Ever. Like, you're telling me that my kid can be the, 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 you know, the the ball boy in the World Series at the same time? Okay, that's an added benefit. Kid gets an experience. But just me, 10 grand on a sporting event? You know what's crazy, though? Yeah. If you went to the Levi's game, and I know a lot of people, I mean, I don't know what the get-in price to the NFC Championship was, but I, I don't think it was that crazy. A couple hundred dollars, three, four hundred dollars, upper bowl. And you, you know, spend four or five hundred dollars for a decent seat. That experience is going to be better than the Super Bowl, given that you got to share it with basically 75,000 people that are all rooting for the same team. Right. I know there were some Lions fans there, but you know what I mean. Like, it's a shared experience. I went to the Super Bowl with my cousin who works with Coors, and so got some corporate tickets, the Carolina-Denver one. It's just a weird – I mean, there are some pockets of fans, but it's not – it's just kind of a bizarre experience if you've been to a lot of sporting events, you know? Right. And that's where – you got two dudes from. Snow I would get it if I was a Bills or Lions diehard season ticket holder for forty years. I'd be like, okay, I've, I've saved some money. I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch my team win the championship. If you're a Niner fan or a Chiefs fan, it's like I'm fucking, I'm watching this thing at all. Yeah, it's it is a very corporate crowd. Uh, I did, I was impressed though when I went to the Niners Ravens Super Bowl in New Orleans. Like how loud that building got. Now maybe because it's got that low slung roof on the on the Superdome yeah. that it just keeps you know it's, it's the Voodoo Dome. It gets loud. It's built to get loud, and it did get loud, louder than I thought it was going to be. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm one and done on an entrance price of uh, of of ten grand. That's for sure. Of anyone. We've seen coach in a in a Super Bowl. I, I just there couldn't be more pressure on Kyle because Kyle knows how much everything in his universe changes with one Super Bowl. Like first of all, one could eat, certainly equal two, could maybe equal three. Like he goes on a Hall of Fame path as a coach at the age of forty four with one Lombardi Trophy. Coaching is the family business, as we were talking about earlier. His dad's got one. Everyone wants to, you know, accomplish what their dad accomplished. He's got professional stress. He's got personal pressure to do this. And, I mean, a Lombardi trophy next to Kyle Shanahan's name changes the way everyone talks about him, almost the same way that that first green jacket changed Phil's trajectory. You go from the guy who couldn't to, hey, he's one of the greatest of all time, just like that, in one win. You know, Guy and I were talking about this. <clears throat> He's kind of the modern-day Philadelphia Andy Reid, and even early on Alex Smith with Andy Reid, because everyone knew he was one of the best coaches in the league. But until you win that, it is just one of those things that everyone can use against you. And I think the scary part about this game is Andy and the Chiefs now have no pr- – I mean, they're just they're, – they're trying to just be even more legendary. Right. Like, it's like Tiger on his, like, 14th major. It's like, yeah, this would be sweet, but if I don't win, it ain't changing anything. They're trying to be the first back-to-back in 20 years. You only – and I thought Dan Campbell was very real about it. Like, I told the guys in the locker room, like, I don't know if we'll ever get back. I believe we will. I hope we will. But, like, let's be real. Like, this, these opportunities – and the Niners have had a lot of them, right, for the last five years. And this is only the second time of those five or four years getting to this game. And if you win it, I think it just buys you so much equity of, like, 
what if in two years you have like a seven win team? It's like, oh, whatever. Right. When you don't, that elephant in the room of just that added pressure. And let's face it, he is the number one guy, like you said, in the league that is, can he do it? His buddy in LA has one. Like, look at it. Look at the two resumes. Kyle's been better. He consistently gets back to the conference championship more than Sean. He's he's dealing with Purdy and Jimmy. This guy's got Stafford now. Now he Sean had a good year this year, but he lost in the first round, where a lot of people thought he would win that game. And not saying that he should have, but it's like Kyle's won a lot of playoff games now, rattling off playoff victories. He had six coming in. Oh, he's got eight playoff victories now. Yeah, he is he is the 49ers all time winning percentage playoff leader right now. He's eight and three. Think about this. McCarthy's got 11. John Harbaugh has 12. Those guys are 60 years old. Right. If you just play it out, even if Kyle has a couple one-and-done years, are we talking about like an 18? This guy's very comfortable in the playoffs, and now he's proven he can come from behind. But you got – how are you ever going to get to a Super Bowl? And I, you're ultimately getting Andy and Mahomes to no doubt about it first ballot. But truly, like, look at their roster and go, is this going to be – this might be your best shot. Because a lot of times the Super Bowl, you might be like, this is one of the greatest teams of all time in the AFC. Maybe, and maybe in two years, that's like the Mahomes team. It's like, right. they've reloaded. They hit on Marvin Harrison the third, you know, and <laughs> fucking one other guy. It's like, <laughs> and their offense is sweet and their defense is still awesome. And it's like, Andy's really mastered it all at 68 years old. Like, that, that ain't this team. That ain't the 2020 team you lost to. Now, your team is showing some holes too. But, hey, just 60 minutes. I, I actually think they're going to win. I, I I do, if not now, then when? <laughs> yeah, no. I, so I'm going to talk myself into the 49ers because, as uh, my old partner Ray Rado would say, if you got a rooting interest, make sure it's for yourself. The channel does better. I do better if the Niners get to do it all. So I really hope that it happens. Um, like you said, the fandom has to die in you for you to be good at this a little bit. But I, I definitely am going to talk myself into them. But just on the surface, were you? Were you I I was really cocky the previous two games. Packers, I didn't even think twice. Then they almost lost. And then I was like, well, it, it never happens twice to this team. They usually kick the shit out of them. And then it was like even worse. I so actually, like, I, I'm yeah. a little rattled, but. I, 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 I kind of handicapped it the other way. I, I, I uh, Kruger and I were both on this. I was more worried about the Packers than anyone that they could face in the NFC championship game, including the Cowboys and Eagles before they were eliminated. Like, I just thought the Packers were on a little bit of a dangerous up and coming. They're too dumb to know the, the weight of this situation. They're so young, sort of dangerous team. And then the Lions were a little bit easier to dismiss than the, the Packers scared me more than the Lions. They really did. Um, but the Lions certainly, you know, they, they, they scared the shit out of everybody up here. That's for sure. Um, but you could argue those two teams have, what this version of the Chiefs do not, incredible speed all over the place. Right. They Well, you know, and I just look at... Maybe they're both just really good offenses right now that would give a lot of people trouble. Like, just sight unseen. Here's a scenario. I'm going to give you the best defense in the game and Patrick Mahomes. Do you even need to know who the other team is before you're like, all right, give me the Chiefs? You know, yeah, in, so, in the history of the league, you'd like their shot. Right, right, right. And then be like, oh, we spun the wheel and it's the 85 Bears. So maybe you've chosen correctly. But for the most part, Patrick Mahomes, best defense in the game. Hard to pass that up. Again, I'll talk myself into the Niners by kickoff. But on its surface, it doesn't look too easy. It it really doesn't. Um, Are, are you going to Vegas? Are you going to be there? I might go for a couple of days. Yeah, like Wednesday, Thursday. How about Nine. you? 
Yeah, uh, Wednesday, and I'm out by Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I, I know gonna, how to do it. I know how to you're do gonna it. You're going to go radio row? In the, a, the, a little bit. The, the whole point, though, is I don't want to be amongst a whole bunch of walking dead men. And like the, 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 the point is Vegas is the best backdrop ever for like whatever show you're about to do. I want to go oh, out on the strip. I want, I, I don't need to be inside a convention hall to cover this thing. Well, I'm, I'll no. get in there one or two days, but I'm going to Vegas to go to Vegas and suck it up. You know, totally agree. That's what, that's what I'm doing, baby. What do you know where, uh, where's Cowherd set going to be? Where does he taking over? Like, you know, I, I think the, I, I don't, I don't want to speak out of turn here, but last when Fox doesn't have their, they're not hosting the Super Bowl. I think they only send the shows for a couple days instead of uh -huh. the full week. So I don't know. Like, that's what they did last right. week I in Arizona. He showed up like Thursday, Friday. So right. CBS has it, right? Right. They're, I think they're they? setting up like in the Bellagio fountain. Like their studio is the Bellagio. It's going to be badass. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be impressive. Do you, do you think that Romo and Nance are terrible? What's your take on uh, those two guys? Are they getting worse? So I think Tony Romo sounds unprepared. And his whole like, Jim, there's a big moment right here. It was charming in year one, less charming now. I don't dislike him. Jim Nance to me is a soothing voice, like a pendulum on a on a grandfather clock. Like it, it just it speaks to me. I like Nance more than I like Romo. I think Greg Olson is getting one of the single biggest screw jobs in the history of I was really good at my job. And I know that the next guy's a huge name in Tom Brady, but how about this? Tom Brady can only be as good as Greg Olson. I don't think he can be much better. I would say that when you watch Tom, <clears throat> when he's just bullshitting with Peyton, like on the Manning cast or whatever, or just one of his guys, he can be good. But when he's in the look at me talk, not talking to one of his guys, he is a lot more like corporate and buttoned up than I think people think the version of the guy's guy that he can become in the locker room. He's not a great press conference guy. When NBC hired Drew Brees, I immediately said, this is never going to work. Like, it's just, have you guys watched his personality? Right, he's still not made. Yeah, it's like Jason Garrett. Certain things, Philip Rivers would be excellent. Why? He's got a big personality. He's just, he's just willing to say some weird stuff. He's just fun. He's entertaining. Greg Olson's like not as boisterous, right? Not as great, but he is just immediately elite. I, I just don't know if we're 100% positive that Tom Brady is going to do this. Well, he did a little bit of a media tour. I think he was on Cowherd today. He was on uh, uh, McAfee. Oh he, uh, oh, he did it. Yeah, he was on with, uh, with Tom. The, did not Greg with the punter. Yeah, no, it was it was Tom Brady. And Tom Brady is basically letting everyone know, like, I'm studying as hard as I can. I've got a few months to get going. Okay, but, never mind. Then he's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. he he sounded like he <laughs> three hundred fifty million dollars, right? Or whatever. taking it super seriously. <laughs> yeah. And look, when Tom Brady focuses on anything. He's probably going to nail it. You know, he, he does have that winning trait about him, but I he just, does have that. Everyone's kind of down on Romo. If he is kind of good, people would love him. Totally, totally. And and look, Romo, Romo just—it sounds like he just played thirty-six yeah. and walked in here, and somebody handed him a roster, and he's like, "All right, uh, I, I know enough about football to get through this game. I'll get through this game." Like it. It, it sounds unprepared. I know what unprepared broadcasters sound like. He sounds like an unprepared broadcaster. It's crazy that he went from just being the, uh, shows you how quick things changed, you know, in this world. Because that first couple of years, it was like, this guy's worth $200 million. Right. I would say it's universally kind of agreed upon, even like not people that quote unquote are haters that are like, yeah, this is sound, something's a little off here. Yeah. I mean, he's he his crutch word is the first name of his broadcast partner, 
Count the Jim, 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 Jim. <laughs> it would be like if you started every single sentence with Haberman with guy, 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 guy. When did you officially move out of the Bay into Arizona? And tell me about a normal John Middlecoff day. Is it Tito's and soda right out of bed, rolling into 36 holes no, and then maybe no. a podcast? It's we're trying to lighten the drinking over the, I, I think I've had one or two cocktails in January. So we're trying to be you know, drying out, baby, drying out. Yeah. Uh, I would say, what are we? 24. I, I probably unofficially moved early on in 22. I bought this house last year in the summer. So, I mean, I've been full go here now for, you know, close to a couple of years. Uh, Am I right about the golf? An extreme amount of golf? Yeah. Play, play a decent amount. Uh, I live in North Scottsdale right now, right down the street from where the waste management plays. I live in Greyhawk golf course. Now the prices on some of this public golf around here, you talk about Super Bowl prices. I mean, these golf courses are just insanely expensive in the winter because of the snowbirds. And then in the summer, if you can bear the heat, which I don't mind. Uh, so it's, yeah, I play, I play a decent amount. Uh, Good for you. See, again, married two kids. I got to live vicariously through you here, John. Um, I, I I teased earlier because when I'm asked, like, hey, what podcast do you listen to? What media members do you consume? Haberman and Middlecoff has been my go-to answer because it's the honest to God's truth. I've been listening to you and Guy for years. I download your podcast. I listen to it in, you know, in the shower sometimes. I just I I enjoy the two of you. I think you're both good at what you do. You can hear the friendship. It works on a lot of levels. Who do you turn to? Who do you watch? Who does John Middlecoff consume when he's sitting down for a little slice of media? I'm not just saying this. I, I've watched you and Larry in the mornings uh, throughout the 49er season, clicked you guys on at the gym, you know, flipping around because YouTube, the homepage, just throws you up shit that, that it's crazy. That algorithm knows what you like. It does. You know, in a weird way, you know, Thank I mean, some of the, the classics of, you know, I listen to Bill Simmons and Sal and some of Rosillo here and there. I, I I watch so much football during the football season that like I, I don't I don't listen to as much football content. I try to like I feel you know try to listen to financial stuff. I always have right. CNBC on because I I feel like from Thursday till Monday I'm just watching so much football and I, I just kind of construct or construct my takes off what I'm watching. So it's like I I try I'm not listening to that many football podcasts. I'm a big golf guy. I listen to some golf podcasts, some gambling golf podcasts. So it's, in a weird way, I balanced myself out the other way. Uh, I, you know, living with my girlfriend now for a couple of years, I think she realized like, oh. there's, just a, there's just a there's a lot of football on TV, you know, and, and with Colin doing, you know, you're just kind of keeping track of the entire league. Now, granted, football is easier to cover just because it's still only a couple nights a week than, you know, basketball or baseball that's every night. But still, like, I love football, too. So I watch Saturday. I, I know you. I like college football. Like if, right. if Michigan's playing Penn State, like I'm going to watch or Alabama's playing LSU and that's out of joy. Like I enjoy watching it. But it, by the time Monday comes around, you're like, Jesus, I've, I've just watched a lot of hours of football. This, by the way, so this is why I don't watch sports movies. People will be like, well, what'd you think of this sports movie? I'm like, I am so immersed in actual sports. I don't have time for fictional sports. You know, I, yeah, I'm not a big sports movie guy. I mean, that's I know a lot of people like love. I, I'm with you a little indifferent to those. It is so good to catch up with you, man. I, uh, I, I like, I, I really mean it. I enjoy your work tremendously. Thank you, You're smart as a whip. I love the conversations, by the way, you have with Ethan Sherwood Strauss whenever he 
has you on his podcast. He's like one of the few sub stacks I actually subscribe to. So keep it up. You never know what you're going to go get from an Ethan article, huh? It no, be, it, it, he's I mean, it could be out of left field. All over the map. All over the map. I hope our paths cross in Las Vegas, my friend. It was good to see you here, though. Thanks so much. Man, I'll see you walking around on the strip with a camera. There he is. John Middlecoff, boys and girls. Get one just like him. He is fantastic. Thanks so much to John for stopping on by. Thanks to you for double dipping with me this Tuesday afternoon here. It was great to have him on. And before I say thanks so much and goodbye to everyone, uh, we got a uh, we do have uh, a super chat has come in. Thank you very much to Iceman, who says, I love this collab. Middlecoff is the best, especially uh, since I DM silly shit all the time. Where'd he go, Iceman? Slipping on into a man's DMs and not being afraid to talk about it. Thank you very much for slipping back into the plus today. Thank you very, very much to uh, my main sponsor, Ike himself. Thank you very much. Go get yourself a sandwich at Ike's. It's a little past lunchtime. Have Ike's for dinner. Go ahead. Or maybe you're watching this at the perfect time to order lunch for the entire office. Check out Ike's Catering. And remember, if you sign up, on the Ike's app, you get rewards points for every point San Francisco scores in the postseason. So you go ahead and start earning your way towards free sandwiches right there. Thanks to Dr. Paul Hughes, the sponsor of Post Game and Damon. We got love for Uncle Boys. We got love for mybookie.ag. And I got an awful lot of love for you. Thanks so much for coming on back this afternoon. I'll let you know back at it, 11 a.m. West Coast time with the Damon Bruce Show right on YouTube and at 2.30-ish on Wednesday, Damon Bruce versus Nick Wright. It should be good. Thanks again to John Middlecoff for coming on by, and thanks again to all of you. We always remind you that sports don't build character. They reveal it.